1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Everyone, flee for your lives! Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy surprises, Batman! It's really exciting. Soon, very soon, Batman and I will be batapulting right out of your TV sets and onto your theater screens. That's right, Robin. Our first full-length motion picture feature in color opens a whole new world of thrills. <laughs> more space on land, sea, and in the air to challenge the most bataclysmic collection of super criminals ever. Their minimum objective must be the entire world. And here are the dastardly villains, the Catwoman. You're going to see the perfect crime when I get Batman in my claws. The Joker. Have you heard this one? It'll kill you, Batman. <laughs> the Penguin. There are two eggs this wily bird is going to scramble. Batman and Robin. <laughs> the Riddler. Question. Who's going to make the feathers fly and knock Batman and Robin out of the sky? See, the new weapons in the Bat Arsenal combat the forces of evil. The Batcopter. The exploding, man-eating shark. Holy sardine! The relentless Megaton Magnet. The unholy quartet secret submarine. Fire one! Fire one! Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro and once again I am joined by my two friends from the Movie Film Podcast, Zaki Hassan and Brian Hall. Hey guys. Hello. Good evening. Thanks for coming back on with me. I'm going to just keep pestering you guys to come on periodically, so I appreciate your indulging me. Yeah, I love being here. So Happy to be here. Thank you. I appreciate that, and I'm glad to have you. And uh, I was listening to, I don't recall if it was your commentary on Batman Begins or Batman Forever, or it was it was something Batman-related. And I started thinking it would be fun to have you guys on to talk about Batman 89. But then I got greedy, and I thought, <laughs> but it would also be fun to talk to you about Batman 66. Yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm putting that one first since it just comes chronologically first, and then I'll pester you until you come on for Batman 89 sometime in the future, unless, you know, you block me somehow or something. <laughs> no, well, it works perfectly because, yeah, anyone who listens to our show knows we love Batman 89, but I know I speak for Zachy also. I mean, we grew up, I think Batman 66 was our first Batman, really. 
introduction yeah. to Batman. So I'm very familiar with this movie, and I would have never even thought to talk about it, to be honest. So I was happy to – I hadn't watched it in years, so it was really fun, an excuse to go back and revisit it. I remember when they were making Batman 89, being a few years older than you dudes, mm-hmm. uh, and it was my thought when they were making it, when they cast Michael Keaton as Batman, that they were effectively going to do the same tone as Batman 66. Right. You know, right. They, meant, they said Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton, and I was thinking, this could easily be a comedy. Mm-hmm. I remember that too, actually. I mean, I was nine years old when that came out, but I definitely remember, I mean, there were less outlets i suppose and internet blogs and and this and that but there were the big stories another example i remember is when steven spielberg was going to do peter pan with robin williams and i was like what you know just sort of these but they're big sort of headline type type uh, blurbs and i remember that with the michael keaton and i you know we'd never seen a movie like that before so it was hard to imagine what it could even look like when 66 all those decades later was still sort of the definitive you know live action version of Batman in our minds. Yeah, well that's that's exactly the way I thought of it. And you know, it, it was when they were again, you know, I don't want to go too much into eighty nine, but when they were getting ready to make Batman eighty nine, uh it was a precursor to the internet exploding that we get now when movies are cast. Because I do remember the just craziness about my, the fact that Michael Keaton had been uh, cast and I do remember also and this will bring us back to Batman 66 that there was some uh, comments made by Adam West that he thought he should still be playing the part right it's funny though because yeah. it's very Grandpa Simpson you had to write a strongly worded letter to express your feelings back then and you know <laughs> pull out an envelope and be like Warner Brothers you know, Riverside <laughs> Drive Burbank California you know like it's so much more difficult. So now, despite our age difference, I'm guessing that we probably have a similar introduction to Batman 66. And as I sit here, I was trying to think about it before, you know, when I first saw Batman 66. And it honestly, it totally blends with the series. I don't remember whether I saw the series first, saw the, the movie later, or the other way around. I have no no distinct memory of the first time I saw it. I know for, I think, I'm sure it's the same for Zachy and I. I mean, we watched the show was on uh, syndication, Fox 32. Fox 32, WFLD, that's right. Yep, in Chicago. And then I, I believe, for me, I saw the show first, and then the movie was something that was on a Saturday afternoon. And I was like, oh, cool, like a a Batman movie. But I don't think at the time I realized that that was actually a theatrically released movie. Like I probably thought it was like four episodes pasted together or something. And I kind of, in my mind, I had it in a similar vein to uh, when they had the TV show The Munsters and then they had Mm. the movie Munster Go Go Home. Uh, I remember that, yeah. You know, it's kind of a similar thing with me, but uh, it's almost impossible to talk about Batman the movie without talking about the TV series. Right, right. Because they were so, you know, so similar in tone. But before we get into some of the casting and all of that, uh, this movie has what to me is an extremely simple and yet very fluid plot to it because it really doesn't matter what's going on in the plot. Uh, I was listening to you guys talk, and this is what made me think of this. I was listening to you talk about Back to the Future in your very recently released commentary. And, Brian, you had made mention of how you'd have to put 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 a scene, and I may be mischaracterizing your comment, so correct me if I'm wrong, but how you'd have to make a scene to further the plot, and then you'd add the jokes into it where they could fit in correctly. And it almost right. seems to me that this one is the polar opposite of that, that they decided, <laughs> like, gags that they wanted to do, and then they tried to work a plot around it. Right, right. Or some sort of, you know, vehicle that they wanted so like, well, how can we utilize that vehicle somehow or this set? Or <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got a dock. Let's keep going back to the dock. But you know, you, you talked about Back to the Future, and you were talking about how complex 
the screenwriting is in that and how, you know, everything serves a purpose. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's so tight in the way it's written. And this, again, this is just the total opposite to me. And it just shows you that different things can work <laughs> in different ways. Uh, you know, it, it's, you know, just total silliness. You know, they're in the, uh, the bat copter and lowering him into the water and the ship just disappears out of nowhere. And then there's a shark hanging from his leg and it, you know, which almost, you know, begs the question, is it yours? Uh, <laughs> which is funny just, too, because that sequence I remember, I mean, I think that's the thing a lot of people remember about this movie, the, the bat shark repellent, but I was struck by how long it took Robin to get down that ladder. I was like, you don't have to show him exiting the helicopter and climbing down like a 30-foot ladder. Like, he did it like <laughs> inch by inch. I, I was just laughing at just how long it was taking for the them to get to the gag. And not that it matters in a movie like this, but in that particular scene, when then, then when he, you know, he hooks his legs and he drops himself down, upside down, so that he can hand the repellent to Batman, uh, there's no way that that's the same when it cuts, the distance between mm. them when he starts to drop himself down and then the distance between them when they come to a close-up, it's not the same scene. <laughs> right, right. I actually, it's, I wrote in my notes, there's the, the fight that takes place in Catwoman's apartment. It reminded me of uh, the space balls with the stunt doubles. Be <laughs> 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 like, that ain't Burt Ward. Like that, you know? <laughs> so, well, let's, let's talk a little bit I want to keep giving you guys an opportunity if you want to interject any uh, any thoughts on any of the screenwriting or anything as we go along. Yeah, please, yeah. But, uh, you know, the next next thing I, I just kind of think of is, I guess, you know, my, my understanding is that they wanted to film this when uh, when they were doing season one, actually release it during season one or just before it, uh, and that that plan got squashed by, who is the studio? Uh, I lost it already. 20th Century Fox? Is it, was it Fox? Yes, you're right, 20th Century Fox, that they didn't want to do that because then they had to pay for everything. Whereas <laughs> if, they, if yeah. they let the series get running first, they could use all their sets and everything, and they'd have to pay much less. And I, I, remember, I do remember a magazine that I had purchased, and I no longer have, but it was a, a magazine about you know superheroes in movies, and it was you know it was older, so it was a lot of like the uh, serials and stuff. But they had a whole feature about this movie, and what a big deal it was for them to introduce you know the bat helicopter and the bat boat mm. and the bat cycle. And outside of the bat cycle, they never reused any of those things, which really surprised me. That is really odd because yeah, I had read a story about how making this movie, they decided to use it as a sort of tactic to have more money outside of the show to build more props and build more sets and vehicles that they could later utilize in the TV show and not have to charge it to the you know the TV company card. But that's that's interesting then because I couldn't remember then if the helicopter ever returned in the series or not. That was probably something they rented and just slapped a sticker on and then had to <laughs> return it. You know, Put a couple a of bat wings on it and yeah. send it up. Yeah. But I, but I do remember as a kid thinking, you know, that that was every bit as cool as the Batmobile. Yeah, it, it's it's really cool. And it's I got to admit, I mean, even though obviously it's a helicopter pilot, I'm sure it's it, seeing the Batman costume in that really rickety looking helicopter. You know, it's just basically a plastic bubble, you know, with a with, uh, <laughs> with a rotor <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool looking well at least in my mind that was what helicopters looked like yeah so i, yeah. I don't know how how accurate or inaccurate that is but that's what they look like in my mind yeah uh, and then the bat i i'm a little more surprised that they never reused the bat boat because you would think that would be yeah. easy enough to work in and not only easy to, enough to work it into the storylines but easier to work it into filming Whereas, you know, the bat helicopter, there's probably all sorts of regulations as far as, you know, the, the when you could use it and how you could use it and where you could use it. Yeah, I wonder if that, I, again, I, I'm, it's been a while since I've seen the show, but I wonder if they did a lot less on-location shooting and maybe it was more 
on the uh, the lot. The show was for sure. I mean, the 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 movie added, uh, relatively speaking, a lot more scale to the universe of the TV show. Right. Now, did you guys first see this as you know fairly young kids, you know five, six, seven, somewhere in that range, or were you a little older? Uh, yeah. I was uh, I was ten when I saw it. When I saw the movie. Because I remember seeing the show, and again, I have no way to distinguish the show from the movie as far as when I was that young. But I remember seeing the show when I was probably five, six years old, and not getting that it was supposed to be funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that yeah. was all every kid, right? And one of the things that like, I always walked away with when I was old enough to kind of appreciate it uh, I always loved uh, the Adventures of Superman TV series. Mm-hmm. And to me, the thing about that was, or one of the things about that, was George Reeves' portrayal of Clark Kent, and Superman for that matter. He always made you feel like you and he were in on a private joke together. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd make his little comment, maybe it is, Lois, maybe it is. And then he'd like <laughs> look over at the camera and wink, you know? <laughs> And it, you always felt like, you know, you were in on the joke together. Right. Whereas with Batman, the way Adam West portrayed it, you always kind of got the impression, or at least I did, that he didn't get it, that he thought he was serious. <laughs> right, and, right. I, and, and, you know, in hindsight, I don't think that's true. I think he was just doing that performance. But, like, the way he performed it, you never, ever got the feeling that he was trying to make you laugh. I, I never knew this was a comedy when I was a kid. And watching it now, I mean, I didn't even – I wanted to ask you guys about this. So is this a running joke in this movie that Robin gets every riddle wrong? Because there's, there's a moment where you know the riddle is what's yellow and you can use it to write. And Robin's holding a pencil and he goes, a ballpoint ball banana. banana. And then Batman's like, of course, it's the only answer it could be. <laughs> See, but did did he get did he get every riddle wrong, or were these riddles just so stupid that he was getting them right? Right. I remember there was one too. I can't remember the setup, but the answer that Robin gave was like a canary with a machine gun, and it was so obviously not the answer. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, was, it was hilarious. And, and oh, and then they, when they figure out who all the, the villains involved are, right? Where they're like, well, we were at C when it happened. C for Cat. Catwoman! <laughs> well, and that, that <laughs> shark was <laughs> pulling my leg. Right. Yeah, the Joker, obviously. <laughs> also, yeah. did you notice that they have a Benedict Arnold monument in their Central Park? Isn't that great? I, that one took me a long time to notice, actually. I didn't get it till this time. I was like, that's hilarious. And then, you know, the other part of the, the, I think the joke is, you know, as a kid, is that nobody could figure out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. I know, but that voice and the delivery, I mean, it's unmistakable. <laughs> and, 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 and then, you know, he's supposed to be this brilliant person, but he can't, he can't figure out that Miss Kitka is Catwoman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was that the moment when he realizes it? And then that French song from when they first dance starts playing, and he stares off into the distance for like three solid minutes. He's like ready to cry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so great. Or even even uh, Penguin dressed up as Commodore Schmidlap. They're like, "You're the Penguin." No, 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 I'm Commodore (laughs) Schmidlap. Well, we're gonna take you to the Batcave and test you. (laughs) Which, by the way, that has got to be a top ten name character name of all time, Commodore Schmidlap. But one of my my favorite name in it is P. N. Gwyn. Right, right. They sell you, know, you gotta admire everyone. Everyone is completely invested in this thing. Like no one, like you say, is winking at the camera. Like they've created this wacky tone, and especially Commissioner Gordon. I was like, man, he is just going for it. I love it. Like he is oh, he's, just he's totally in on this. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm just, it's you know, it's stream of consciousness here. But I'm thinking when when they're investigating the submarine sale, and they they go to the navy guy, and they're talking to him. I, I guess whatever he is, an admiral or whatever. And as the, as as he's looking things up, he's whistling anchors away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're, they're yeah. all caricatures. You know, 
I saw a thing on Instagram, just randomly, whatever, targeted at me, and it was an interview with Cesar Romero talking about playing the character of the Joker. And he's actually, I think he's in the makeup, probably, you know, in a trailer or something. And the woman conducting the interview is almost trying to pull out of him the, like, yeah, but this is kind of silly, right? I mean, you you know this is silly. It's kind of dumb. Like, why are you doing this? Kind of a, she's doing it sly, on the sly. And Romero is just not having it. He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, this is this is wonderful. Like, I, I love what they're doing here, and I get to play this delicious character. I, I love every second of being here. And it, I just delighted in seeing that, that they, they loved it. They relished it. You know? I think I think that came across in his more than anyone else his performance and obviously his performance I think allowed for it because mm-hmm. he's constantly laughing but right. it seems genuine when he's laughing he like he really <laughs> seems like he's legitimately having fun right right so, and it's funny yeah. too in this movie the Riddler almost like out nutsos the Joker doesn't he like there's a couple of moments where Joker's looking at Riddler like man you're crazy <laughs> <laughs> well and. and the way Frank Gorshin delivered his lines, you know, he, he almost had that. It was almost like he was making fun of William Shatner. <laughs> you know, he, he'd kind of like stretch out the words and then give, you know, long pauses in between sentences. And mm-hmm. which I'm now doing without even meaning to. Uh, <laughs> right. But, you know, and then it's interesting when you, you know, when you think about the changes, you know, eventually, uh, not having Frank Gorshin as the Riddler and instead having uh, John Aston and, and not having uh, Lee Merriweather as Catwoman, but having uh, Eartha Kitt and or uh, also I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Julie Newmar. Julie Newmar, yes. Now, I mean, the, the, that one was purely that apparently when they filmed the movie, Julie Newmar wasn't available. Yeah. Mm. So they replaced her with Lee Merriweather. And that that's that's a much more seamless change than going over to Eartha Kit because Eartha Kit's like a totally different presentation, totally different body type. You know, I, I, I don't wouldn't even I wouldn't I wouldn't even think about the racial racial differences so much as just the presentation is different. Right. You you do have to appreciate the far sightedness of casting an African American woman in there and they don't even address it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you gotta, you gotta I mean, respect that. Yeah, I mean, that's really, like, that's they were ahead of their time when it came to that, especially considering that since Eartha Kitt, uh, there have been two additional actors, uh, 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 black black actors playing Catwoman, and again, it's, you know, it's, it's not a big deal for either of them, you know, whether Halle Berry or uh, Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, I agree, and that's, that is... I, I, what I, one of the things I like about it is that they let her make her performance her own. They didn't say yeah. come up there and do it the way Julie Nomar did it or right. do it the way Lee Merriweather did it. And the two of them really kind of did do it similarly. Yeah, uh, yeah. But Eartha Kitt did it totally different, I thought. She, she, you know, it, it wasn't, you should believe I'm the same person. It's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm my own person. Yeah. Right. So that, that was, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to look at. The screenwriter in this movie, I was looking it over, uh, screenwriter is Len- Leslie Martinson, and, and I started looking, oh no, I'm sorry, he's the director, I'm getting myself mixed up here, i gotta, I got to go back to the first page here, it was written by Lorenzo Semple Jr., and I have his page up here, and when you look at his work, uh, it's kind of interesting, like, he, it seems like this came out of left field for him. Uh, you know, he was he wrote for a TV series called Buckskin, but was he wrote, he wrote a, the Honeymoon Machine for Steve McQueen, The Rogues, Theater of the Stars. Like it, it didn't seem like he was particularly a comic writer, a, hmm. a comedy writer. And the same right. thing for Leslie Martinson, who directed it. Uh, he didn't he didn't seem to have comedies really on his. You know, he wasn't primarily a comedy. He was primarily a TV director, though. Mm. If, if you look at it, he's got an extensive filmography. Anyway, but, you know, it, it's it's almost like an eclectic group that they that they put together to make this thing, uh, including having Nelson Riddle do the music, which was very different from the TV series mu- music, much, right. more, much more dramatic and jazzy. Right. 
Right. And I mean, if that's a director who's not a comedic director, I mean, hats off to that. That I mean, a, a lot of it, but that whole bomb sequence. I mean, that yeah. is like a cartoon come to life in the best way. I mean, him, the way he's holding it over his head in such a silly fashion <laughs> and then just running into like a, a group of nuns and then running into the, the marching band and then <laughs> the way they cut over the dock and the little duck ducklings. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's it's just, hilarious. Oh my that, God. The whole sequence holds up. I mean, that is really, really funny. That sequence almost seems to go with the theory that I've heard about comedy where if you do something and it's mildly amusing, and then right. if you continue to do it, it'll start to be annoying. But then if you keep doing it more, it starts to get funny again. Yeah, because if I remember correctly, it's like he sees the nuns, and then he goes, and it's another thing, and then it's the band, and it's another thing. But then there's like a moment where the camera never cuts, where he bumps into all of them again in quick succession. <laughs> like again, like, oh yeah, nuns, band, whatever. It just, yeah, well, it's almost yeah, like they all start to converge on him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's that's very much the Family Guy school of comedy, so you yeah. can at least appreciate why Seth MacFarlane roped in Adam West to be part of his ensemble, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and that's that's the thing that, that that finally let me know not not just Family Guy, but Family Guy, Simpsons, uh, and actually uh, on the Howard Stern show. But those appearances by Adam West will let me what, what finally let me know. Okay. He does know that this was a joke. Right, <laughs> right, right. So until Which, then, I was Brian, not entirely sure. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain, Brian, you and I uh, are singing from the same hymnal when it comes to seeing uh, Adam West in um, in the Snowplow, Mr. Plow episode. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and uh, you know, certainly I was like, wow, hey, Adam West, he's hilarious, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now Adam West, and it, it just just as an, an example of how a little thing can mean a lot. Uh, what did, when did he pass away? Actually, it was just like two years ago, ago. two thousand seventeen. Yeah. I would say probably either two thousand fifteen or two thousand sixteen. I was at New York Comic Con, and there was a booth overlooking the main floor, and we were all you know I was with my family and we're walking around checking things out. And I looked up and I saw Adam West in the booth. So mm -hmm. I, I whacked my son on the shoulder and I pointed and I said, do you, do you know who that is? And, you know, we were talking about it. But he saw us looking at him and he actually waved to us. Uh, yeah, and this is, nice. you know, this is New York Comic Con, which is mobbed with people. Right. So for him, I like I said, it's a, it's a little thing, but it means a lot. Like just the fact that he did that actually made me feel good. I thought, what a yeah. nice guy. You know, he yeah. sees that we see him there, and he, he decided to acknowledge us. And that's all it takes. You know, I, I've wondered about this because, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in recent years, you know, it, it, you have people that are known for these roles, and they almost become that person to you, and it's hard seeing them as someone else. But then several years go by, and the people who were kids when they were watching that show grow up, and then they start plugging them into things again, right? You know, and I mean, Mark Hamill certainly – I mean, he's had a story – voiceover career but he's getting to be luke again and you have adam west being in family guy and all these things and you you wonder about that moment the years uh not long after the show has ended when they are typecast mm -hmm. how that must yeah. have felt you know that must have felt really like what what is ahead for me and it's i'm i'm thankful for these guys that they did have that moment then where they could look back all these years later and receive all that love Right, right. And, and and recognize that it's like, oh, this isn't ever going away, and it's they they really love me as this person, and I get to sort of enjoy this in a new way that I probably didn't immediately mm. after. Well, and, and I mean, you can go both ways with it. You can you can embrace it and enjoy that adulation from the crowd, mm. or you can try and distance yourself from it, and you know, be you know. I, yeah. I guess I guess turn into uh, I forget what the character's name is on Galaxy Quest. Sure. Like Grand Tamara. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, the, it, you know, you know, uh, if if I can give my thoughts on that, I mean, I absolutely. Think the thought that I had, and and you know, Brian, maybe we even talked about this on the show in Adam West Pastor. I can't remember, but I, I you know, I saw Adam West at a convention literally weeks before he passed away. I mean, it, it was within a month, I'm fairly sure. 
and you know i was with my boys and you know they were you know as it turned out it was the last time ever Adam West and Burt Ward appeared together. Who would have thought, right? And and he, they were wheeling him from one place to another in a wheelchair. And, and my kids were like, oh, Adam West. And my kids. Mm. But, you know, he was surrounded, as you said, he was surrounded by, by adulation and stuff. And, and it occurred to me, I was like, what a nice uh, way to end the book for him. Yeah. Right? Because he went through this patch, which he, he talked about. You know, there was, there was you know, from... Uh, the the you know basically 70s through the early 90s he couldn't even get arrested because he was so locked into that role and then gradually as you said you know he, he kind of worked his way out of that but I mean he by the end of his life he knew how beloved he was yeah he knew everywhere he went people got to tell him how much he defined their childhood and and you know when you when you when you weigh it all, you have to say, man, what a, what a way to go, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's really nice to know that he was able to embrace that. Yeah. Because, like I said, I think some people who get stereotyped become embittered by it because yeah, sure. they consider themselves, you know, some somebody. I mean, you could use Adam West as a hypothetical where. You know, he would get this role and then he'd get typecast in this role and he considers himself to be, you know, a serious dramatic actor mm. and is never going to embrace the love he got for playing a role that he thinks is silly. Now, right. thankfully, mm. that's all hypothetical and it's not the case from everything we know that he did yeah. embrace it and he did enjoy that adulation from the crowd. And, and I'm, you know, like you say, it's, it's, it's great that he was able to do that. Uh, but I think there are actors out there who who can't. I think to some extent, if you you know if if you believe what's been projected to us, I think to some extent Leonard Nimoy had that, and then Mm -hmm. kind of overcame it later in his life. Yeah, I think I think he was embittered by the fact that he was typecast and really couldn't you know do the roles that he would have liked to have done. he, He literally went from I am not Spock to I am Spock. Uh, yes, those are those are two autobiographies he wrote, Brian. I am not Spock in the seventies, and then in the nineties, I am Spock. That'd be funny. The first draft was fine, comma I'm Spock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a little passive aggressive. You know? I uh, guess I am Spock after all. You know? yeah. <laughs> and they took out the red pen. I am. <laughs> now I, I saw something where uh, there was a little friction between Adam West and Burt Ward. Uh, and, and I'm trying to remember exactly the way it was worded, but it was something to the effect that Adam West didn't appreciate that Burt Ward kind of exaggerated some stories mm. about what went on in the set and all. Mm. But that eventually, as they got older, you know, he kind of got comfortable with all of that too, or they had made peace between themselves for whatever reason. Yeah, but, he... Uh, I forgot what that book was called. Like my life. Boy wonder. My life and boy wonder. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. Yeah, I remember that was kind of a big thing when that came out too, because you know that that show is so for children, right? And then it was just like, oh, the stories you didn't know, and Burt Ward was, yeah. you know, just like. Then I had sex what? with this woman. Then I, then I had everywhere. sex with that woman. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and it was a little you know, like, oh, I mean, we weren't really asking for that, you know. What's funny is that Adam West also wrote a book. I think it was called Back to the Batcave. And he's got plenty of Pervo stories in that, too. So both of those guys were <laughs> were taking full advantage of their stardom. I had, I had read the Burt Ward one many years okay. ago, and I, I found it – the, the part of the book I found more interesting was when he was writing about how, okay, on the first day of filming – Filming ended when they took me off in an ambulance because I was injured doing this stunt. Then I came right. back in the second day. On the second day of filming, filming ended when I was taken off in an ambulance. Like he was just recounting how many times he was injured on the set. And uh, <laughs> it, it apparently, they, you know, they they didn't have quite the same safety protocols that they do now uh, on on film sets. And I guess they didn't have the same concerns about your uh, your stars either. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, here, have a cigarette. You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Best thing in the world for you. 
Didn't they adapt that uh, Back to the Back Cave into a CBS TV movie? I'm having a yes, flashback. They did. Now. They did. They, yeah, and and uh, the surviving actors were all in it. So really, Julie Newmar, Frank Gorshin. Um, didn't they have Dick Gordier as Batman though? In the past, but it was it, it was set around a framing sequence uh, in the present. So so Adam West and Burt Ward were in it, and and the surviving villains. And again, I, I know Gorshin was in it, and I know Julie Newmar. Um, I I don't know who else was in it, but it was definitely those four. Okay, okay, man, I kind of want to dig that up now. It, I yeah, I'm, I believe it's on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. Or at least it was a couple of years ago, because I remember watching it shortly after Adam Moss died. Right. Any particular gags in this one that really stood out to you guys? I just loved the... I've forgotten how funny the script was. like, And and that they are, I guess, like we were saying, sort of winking. Like when the helicopter landed on all that foam rubber... And then uh, Batman's like, what are the odds? Or Robin's like, what are the odds? And Batman's like, it would make even the most dedicated gambler cringe. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love he goes, and then he follows it up with, though I must admit I did spot it in the corner of my eye. I was like, what, can he just not be wrong? You know, like, <laughs> I thought that was really good. I don't know, Zachy? Uh, you guys said. I mean, I think I think the, the some days you can't get rid of a bomb is like Fantastic. one of the all time. I mean, I mean, it's all the, it's the setup and everything, but then it's it's the the punchline, right? Yeah. Some days you just, and it's his delivery. So you talk about him. I think the genius of Animus portrayal. You know, as you say, like I I think the the George Reeves comparison is so apt because it pinpoints why both of these actors were so good at playing these characters and and i would say in, in from a modern perspective they are underappreciated for how they play these characters because uh for exactly that reason george reeves portrayed as if he was 100 percent in on the joke and for that show that's exactly what he needed to do. adam west played it as if he was completely oblivious to the joke and for that right. show that's exactly what he needed to do you know right yeah, I, yeah. I definitely agree uh and i think to some extent, the adventures of Superman has fallen a little bit more into obscurity, whereas Batman yeah. has stayed popular. Uh, and, and I'm disappointed by that because I spent many a uh, many a childhood hour watching uh, the adventures of Superman on uh, WPIX 11 in New York uh, mm-hmm. after school, and uh, I, I, it was just one of my favorites. But uh, what do you think about the perception? And I guess, Zachy, this one's probably more for you being a comic guy, uh, of the way they were presenting the show as compared to what was coming out in the comics at the time and how it may have influenced what came out from there. Because mm. I've heard people cringe over what they perceive with that. For is my perspective as a kid, during that era, so being, you know, between four and eight, let's say, four and ten. And I knew Batman from the TV show. I treated it seriously on the TV show. And I, I, at the very least, I mean, if not reading, I was flipping through the contemporary comic books of when I was growing up. So we're talking, you know, mid to late 80s. And in my child's mind, I, I saw no disconnect. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's the thing that I, I always, I, I, I have to, like, underscore that for people. It's like, this was the perfect gateway drug to get kids into comic books. Because because kids see things a certain way. You know, you, you watch a show as a kid, and all the, you know, the fact that the sets are cardboard and and you, you can practically see the, the Elmer school glue holding things together... Uh, as a kid, you just gaze right past that. You fill in. You 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 do mental CGI to fill it in. Right. And and I I see it now with the adults now who were kids watching the original the, the Power Rangers show. Mm. And when they t- I mean these are people who are in their thirties, late twenties and thirties, and they talk about watching Power Rangers like. It was the Magnificent Ambersons, you know? 
right? And and I I realized I'm like, well, that that was Batman for me. That was Batman reruns. How the time the distance in time is about the same, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That that is wild for me to think that. <laughs> you know, I think of Batman sixty six as old, but yeah. Power Rangers was the same. It's almost equidistant. <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> but now I. Uh... See, I, I had a similar experience to you. You know, I, I, Batman was one of my introductions to comics. It wasn't the only one. I had that. I had the, you know, the Marvel superheroes cartoons, the Spider-Man cartoons, the Adventures of Superman, uh, and to a lesser extent because it kind of started when I was getting a slight bit older and had already kind of learned a little bit about comics, but the uh, Super Friends. Sure. And all of them had a more simple view of how to you know how how th- these universes worked as compared to what was going on in the comics which is which was a little bit more sophisticated than what they let on uh and the people who I know who are into comics and are bothered by Batman 66 I think the nature of what bothers them is the fact that people who are not fans of comics think that comics are as silly as what we see on Batman 66. And, you know, you, it's it's always borne out by, uh, you know, the occasional article in, in a newspaper or a magazine where the headline is, bang, pow, zam, comics aren't just for kids anymore. You know, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, and, and they, they you know, those people feel like it's marginalizing what they're such fans of. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I can I can kind of understand that it hasn't really bothered me to speak of because I don't think that was ever the intent of this show. I don't think the I don't think the show ever made, intended to make fun of comic fans or comic books in general. I think it was having fun with comic books. I think it was it was more I think it was more of an attempt of laugh with me, not at me. Right. So it never really I mean, bothered me, but I understand why people are bothered by it. I I think. You know, to to a large extent, it you know the the show was produced by people who viewed comic books as kid stuff, and the comic books were being read by an audience that you know by that time like late sixties, right? So so kids, especially from sixties on, took the comics with them as they grew older, right? And mm-hmm. and that was relatively new at the time. So what you the backlash was indicative of, hey, don't make fun of this thing that I as an adult still like. Well, I think comics started to become more sophisticated, you know, with the advent of the Silver Age, you know, with, with yeah, so you know right the Fantastic then, Four in nineteen sixty, right. Spider Man in nineteen sixty two. So this was a little, you know, a couple of years later. But I think the people who were producing it were thinking of comics from the 50s, more or less. Yeah, right. Because um, I, that's when they were younger. And and I think, because really, like, the backlash to the show, to me, in my, in my mind, and, you know, I wrote a... Did I lose you, Zachy? Like, through osmosis. Let, Zachy, uh, you, you cut I, out on me for a while there. Oh, I'm sorry. Where did I lose you? You, you started to say I wrote, and then it cut out. Okay. See, it's the, the, what was contained in that piece is too valuable. It can, can never be <laughs> carried forward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I was God saying something to you. Like, <laughs> 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 I know. I, uh, you know, up until I was 10, 11 or so, it's like, oh, yeah, I like Batman. And then at some point, the, the, the 60s TV show, and then at some point, it's almost through osmosis, you're told, no, no, no. You're not supposed to like that show because that's not serious like the comics, you know, and and it's weird how the wheel eventually came back around. And, and either it's just me specifically or sort of society in general, it like became OK to like multiple versions, you know. But it, it's and, almost like it has a rubber band effect where it goes to yeah. opposite ends, too, because then, then people talk about, you know, the Frank Miller Batman and complain that that has made Batman too serious. Right. So, it, it, you know, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, the, the, the moral of the story is uh, no matter what you do, somebody's going to complain. 
(laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, we see it, we see it now, right? Like there are people who are passionate about the, the Zack Snyder version of Batman. And there are just as many people who are extremely not passionate about that version of Batman. And they come at it from like, like they, their critiques of, uh, uh, both for and against, like, I'm not even going to get into like who's, who has a valid argument or whatever, but I mean, it, it speaks to, uh, to some extent people's preconceived idea of like, this is how Batman is quote unquote supposed to be. And I think what you find is that the older you get, you realize, well, geez, Louise, like, how, look at how elastic to that, use that rubber band metaphor. Look how elastic Batman is. The fact that the character can encompass Frank Miller, Michael Keaton, George Clooney, Adam West, all of these, and they're all still Batman. That's what makes the character amazing. Mm-hmm. That's I, not that's not a debit. That's a plus. I totally agree with you, and and I think another level where you can view that same exact uh, variance is Batman the Animated Series with Kevin Conroy, or yeah. uh, Batman the Brave and the Bold with uh, was it Diedrich Bader? Diedrich Bader, yeah. In a so 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 different in presentation, but both valid in their own way, and and both enjoyable to me. And and I'll tell you, Paul, to that point, I remember, you know, between the animated series and the Brave and the Bold, there was another Batman animated show in the middle, which was the, the Batman. Batman. Yes. Which which I remember, and I think the show is fine, but I remember when that show was first announced, there was this uproar. Uh, from, you know, the, the sector of fandom that had come of age with Kevin Conroy and his version. They were like, how can anyone else be Batman? And, and, you know, there was certainly, there was, there was a, a part of me that was like, oh man, it's a shame to like kind of move Conroy off the board as like the guy. And now we got another guy. But you're not, well, that's, that's what this character is, right? And we see now Kevin Conroy still shows up. He's still doing Batman. He just showed up on ways. I was just going to say, yeah. there you go. He's driving us around. He's telling us where to go. And meanwhile, there's other guys. Ready. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, there's other guys doing it too. I mean, even, and when it comes to Superman and Batman, I'm, I'm more of a Superman guy, but I have to, on this one point, I have to give the edge to Batman in terms of the sheer elasticity of what can be encompassed within the character and the various portrayals. Batman has Superman beat. And I think that's why the character just goes on and on and on. So you just and, made me think something because there's always an uproar when there's a new Batman announced, as you just said. Yeah. And then it always turns out okay. Like, yep. has anyone bungled Batman? Like, <laughs> wouldn't it be well, awful to be the first guy that Clooney, just absolutely Clooney would say he's the guy. Yeah. You know what's funny though? I don't. I See, think I don't of think that I agree film as a whole. I don't think Clooney yeah. bungled Batman so much as the script did. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you, but but he yeah he's been no I get, I get the what sword you're saying. for. For like for like twenty plus years, he's been falling on the sword. Right? Yeah, yeah. But I, well, I can and you give him credit for not having such a big ego that you know yeah. that, that he you know some some guys would have an ego where they wouldn't allow themselves to uh, you know to, to fall <laughs> on that sword. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and you would think if anybody him. could, a guy who's had George Clooney's success could easily have that ego. But you know you got to respect sure. the fact that he doesn't. Yeah. He, and, and uh, you know, I, I've said elsewhere, I mean, given the right script and the right direction, he had the potential to be an amazing Bruce Wayne. So exactly. it, it's a shame. It's a shame he never got the chance. Well, that's that's when the Batman movies started moving too far into the silliness in an, in an effort to, I guess, recapture the Batman 66 feel. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 I have to say I don't believe that they successfully captured that feel at all. Mm. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, sometimes you can recapture things, a pastiche or something, but it's usually it's what what's of the moment, you know. And when you're trying to recreate something that made sense in the '60s, you know, it's that's that's not the moment we're living in, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know. It doesn't always. There's a chance you could succeed with it, but yeah. It it does say something when you look at those those four films. Uh, from the 80s and 90s, it does say something um, about the long reach of the 60s. Hmm. Yeah, well, I I think there's a lot of that. I, I think it really, 
is Hold dependent me. upon the product. Yeah, I can hear you. What, were you still saying something? Did I cut yeah. you off? <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. I, my, my phone is just being awful, so it, it keeps dipping in and out. So I'm... No problem. But I'll, I'll you know, carefully edit this, and no one will ever know that there was an issue. <laughs> uh, so let me just no it's uh, when, you, when you talk about the well actually i was gonna maybe you're gonna cut this moment but i was gonna talk about the long reach of the 60s one no please go ahead well just to speak to what you just said about the long reach of the 60s one i mean I, i'm visualizing this movie again in my head and it is so specific Right. I mean, this movie, but also the TV show. And it it made me realize, I think maybe I've seen a couple episodes of Green Hornet, but I don't really remember much about that show other than the theme song. But like Mm -hmm. you think of the Batman 66 show. And I mean, it is so confident in its its definitive style from the music to its set design to the bold colors to the humor. It just doubled down on. I mean, it was so confident in what it was doing and it worked so i think that's why it's sort of you know i don't know how it hold up necessarily you know to someone's attention or a kid's attention these days but everyone knows recognizes that show right i mean it, it is just it, it did something wholly unique and interesting that is just a, a marker now you know in its, yeah. in its presentation and that's i think that is why we still remember it or reference it Right. Yeah, and I, I think you know one of the things you mentioned that that does bear mentioning uh, is the set, set design. I think yeah. there was a lot of thought put into a lot of the sets, just just little you know little gags, you know like on on the uh, on the poles that they uh, go down. You know there's there's labels everywhere, and it actually says <laughs> instant costume change on on the uh, and and if you look you know I, I actually freeze framed it while I was watching it and they have like arrows going up and down so that you could actually I guess they could slide up the arrow, the the pole somehow to change right. from the superhero costumes back into their civilian uh, clothes and it's just just like I mean it's totally silly but the attention to detail is tremendous yeah, the bat uh, pewter all, all of that <laughs> and, stuff. And I, I always wanted to have a Shakespeare head that would open up a secret panel. Yes. <laughs> and and how did Anne Harriet never notice that there was a red phone with a, uh, you know, with a, with a, a globe, you know, a bowl over it? Right, right. What was this? What's for? that for? <laughs> yeah. And even the Dutch angles, right? Whenever they uh, are with, I guess I didn't notice it till the film, but I guess that's only with the villains, huh? And, and and the fight sequences. Yeah, the fight sequences. Yeah, and of course, I mean, I can't believe I didn't mention this, but the POW zap, all that stuff. I mean, it's just so wildly singular, right? Yeah, I don't think, you know, until then, I'm trying to think if if cartoons ever did the onomatopoeia right. physically where they actually have the word in front of you. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't remember seeing it anywhere else before this. Yeah. So you know, there is as as silly as it is, I do think a lot of thought went into it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's conscious silliness. Yeah, and it was, as I understand, an enormous hit, right, when it came out. As as best as I can recall, uh, the series was a phenomena in the first year or two. Now I I you know again I'm fairly older than you guys but i was a i was pretty much a baby uh so i don't really remember too much of the mania that went on but you know from everything i understand the first two seasons it was uh, a phenomenon and then by the end by towards the end of the second season it started to peter out a little bit because i guess it became a little bit too one note Sure, uh, and you, you can you can imagine that. <laughs> so, so they you know they switched it up in the third season. They brought in Batgirl, right? And right. then they they went to just half hour episodes instead of the two part episodes each week. Oh, see, I don't remember that. That's I I did buy the Blu rays when they came out, and I've been meaning to you know kind of binge through them again. 
the first two seasons are pretty much all two-part episodes, and they were, uh-huh. if my memory is correct, and I'm, I'm, I'm working off of memory, and it's more memory of what I've read than memory of actually right. doing it, but I believe that they aired on Wednesday and Thursday night, right. half an That's hour right. each night. Uh, and then in season three, they went to just once a week, and That's right. they have several multiple-part episodes, but it was not presented in the format that we got in seasons one and two. Mm, I see. Yeah, each, each like the, the in the first two seasons, and it's weird because this is what's allowed the show to have such a strong syndication afterlife. They basically they took one episode and split it in two. That was the gag, right? You know, so so you essentially had one forty minute episode just in two parts, and that's why they were able to be like tune in tomorrow, same same bat time, you know, mm-hmm. um, and. Just, uh, you know, so, you, so in other words, in that first two seasons, instead of, you know, whatever, your uh, 40-something episodes, you ended up with, like, uh, you know, 80-something episodes. Right, right. Uh, yeah, well, that, watch, and that was back in the out. day when you needed 100, 100 episodes in order to go into syndication. Anything right, less right. than 100, they felt, wasn't enough. Right. Now, now, with streaming services, that's totally changed that paradigm. But for many years... That was pretty much the you know the threshold for these things. Yeah. Uh, just an interesting trivia piece on it is that the narrator you know who would give us the you know the ending uh, or for that matter the beginning the just the generally the narrator uh, was Wil- City. <laughs> yes, yeah. William William Dozier, yeah, who was actually the producer of the show. Oh, okay. So He's he, got a great he, voice. Yeah, he had the perfect voice for it. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he was also uh, he, he also narrated the Green Hornet. And... Yeah, well, I think he produced that as well. Right. Yeah, that that's was, that's that why was, they had the well, crossover. That, he was truly a Green Hornet fan, and that was what he really wanted to do. So when oh. Batman became a success, he leveraged his Batman bona fides to do Green Hornet, which was his first true love. Oh, funny. Yeah, but and that but that one only managed one season. Uh, at this point, I guess we're probably in a good position to ask the uh, the big question, guys. <laughs> what where, where does this movie fall on the Jaws scale? Now, as you are aware, we've had the four Jaws levels, but mm-hmm. I have since added Jaws five, which I don't know if I've mentioned this to you or not. No, is the it's no. so bad that it's good. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I'm not telling you that I'm putting this in that category. And uh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead, get ahead of myself, and tell you I'm not putting it in that category. But I just okay. wanted to give it to you as an option. <laughs> okay, I, I, I like that option actually. But I made my mind up before I knew it existed. So I guess I'll. I, I thought it was Jaws two. Hey, me too. Well, that makes three of us at Jaws too, because yeah, I think hey, I, 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 I'm tempted in some ways to almost give it a Jaws because one of the criteria I use on it is, does it accomplish everything that it sets out to accomplish? Does is is there anywhere where it kind of fails in what it's trying to do? And I'm not. I, I really would say I don't think that this movie does fail in any respect as to what it was trying to do. Right. But, but. I do think, you know, I, I have to save Jaws for, you know, it has to be more than just that. Uh, yeah. Right. And, and yeah. I think this one, you know, there's not quite enough depth to this movie, uh, whether it's on a comedy level or on a action level or whatever level you want to take it maybe, on maybe to if, give it that high uh, maybe of a Robert Shaw had guest starred as a villain, right? Maybe that might be the... <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If this movie, if this show was made or if this movie was made 10 years early, later, he might have. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But you know, it's 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 a Jaws too because, in my opinion, it is eminently rewatchable. It's enjoyable. Uh, there's a lot of quotable things in it. There's, you know, the performances are all just fun, and uh, you know, it it doesn't really fail on any level. It just doesn't quite have the gravitas to make it a Jaws level. Yeah, I, I agree I with that. So I'm gonna. Uh, Thank you guys for coming on. I'm going to release you oh, from your day's uh, <laughs> your, your day's work here today. Uh, <laughs> but you know, 
hopefully in uh, the not-too-distant future, we'll get together again, and we can uh, take this over to Batman 1989. Oh, man. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I'll look forward to having you guys on for that one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and everybody else, thank you for listening. And uh, we didn't take a minute to uh, pimp their shows, so uh, just remember the movie film podcast. I recommend it very, very highly. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And who behind it? Not a clue. Tell me, Commissioner, what known super criminals are at large just now? I'll check it once, Batman. Uh, Bonnie, let's have the latest status report on known super criminals still at large. Yes, sir. Thank you, Bonnie. Coming up, Batman, on the closed-circuit TV screen. Come over here. Status report. Known super criminals not currently imprisoned. The Penguin. That pompous, waddling master of foul play, maestro of a million criminal umbrellas. The Joker. Divilish clown prince of crime. Or if I only had a nickel for every time he's baffled us. What, the Riddler loose too? So it seems, loose to plague us with his criminal conundrums. Gosh, and the Catwoman. End of status report. Could be any one of them, but which one? Which ones? Pretty fishy what happened to me on that ladder. You mean, well, there's a fish there could be a penguin. But wait, it happened at sea. See? See for Catwoman. Yet, that exploding shark was pulling my leg. The Joker. It all adds up to a sinister riddle. Riddler. Riddler? Oh, thought strikes me. So dreadful, I scarcely dare give it utterance. The four of them. Their forces combined. Holy nightmare. Batman, could it be? I don't know. But I think I know where to find a clue. Come on, Robin. To the Batcave. We haven't one moment to lose. (laughs) 